in Systems We Trust is made possible because of Asana. From the production of the episode you're listening to right now, to the projects we've delivered for hundreds of happy teams, Ditto trusts Asana to keep our remote team focused on the goals, projects, and tasks that matter the most. Book a call to learn more about how Asana can take your team's collaboration to the next level. Welcome to the In Systems We Trust podcast with Mark E. Murray. In Systems We Trust dives into all things systems and processes and interviews the professionals who are using them to change the landscape of their organizations every day. This podcast is fueled by Ditto, a team that is on a mission to eliminate team burnout by implementing systems and processes that streamline your business's growth. Are you ready for more clarity? Here we go. Thanks for listening to In Systems We Trust. My name is Marquis and I'm your host. And today I'm speaking with Penny Zenker. Penny is a focusologist, an international speaker, business strategy coach, and best-selling author. Before her 31st birthday, Penny founded, developed, and sold her first multi-million dollar business while living in Zurich, Switzerland. Later at the world's fourth largest market research company, she managed business unit turnarounds and was Tony Robbins' business coach, helping entrepreneurs around the world to double their businesses. Welcome to the show, Penny. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Just as a correction, I want to say I I didn't coach Tony Robbins. I coached many of Tony Robbins' clients, just to be be clear on that. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Still very impressive. Still very impressive. And I know I left a lot out of the bio there, and we'll we'll get to some of your other accomplishments. I mean, you've been featured in Forbes and ESPN and, you know, um, been on TEDx and and things like that. So I'm looking forward to, to hearing more and what I typically will do at this point is just, I'd love to hear your, your story. I mean, you know, let's take us back to the very beginning. Um, young Penny getting started in, in entrepreneurship. What's your story and how did you get to the point that you are at right now? Dumb luck, right? <laughs> That's how we get. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. A lot of perseverance and hard work. So, um, you know, what's my story? I mean, there's so many different aspects to our story. I, I, I always felt like, uh, I wanted to do something on my own, you know, had my own, mm-hmm. uh, paper route and did lemonade stands and, you know, just was always conscientious of, of looking to, to make some money. My very first business was in college. Um, uh, my roommate and I created this thing called basket case and we, uh, did, we, we, we're in school in Philadelphia at Drexel University. And so we put together Philadelphia baskets with the pretzel and the Philadelphia magazine, everything mm-hmm. traditional Philadelphia. And we sold it to the parents of the freshmen coming in that we would deliver it to their freshmen as they as they came in. So um, that was sort of my first dip into uh, having my own business. And, uh, and then, you know, later, a couple of years later, after I had moved to Europe, I uh, was working for JP Morgan and they sent me there on a uh, two-year assignment. And two years turned into 16 years because I did start my own business when I was there. And, you know, it's difficult. If there's a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, who are listening, it's it's not easy building your own business. It's not easy because you don't necessarily have the support systems. I didn't have a mentor or somebody who could show me the ropes and show me how it was done. And uh, I think that I got here by a lot of trial and error and seeking out 
mentors and people who have, you know, were a couple of steps ahead of me so that I could, you know, they say success leaves clues, right? So, so that I could see what they were doing that was successful. And uh, I'd say the number one thing that I've constantly had to step back and (laughs) relearn was that, you know, your, your podcast is called in systems we trust. And I would say that that was a constant lesson is that your business is only as good as your systems. Mm. If you want to scale, then, you know, you've got to have the right systems in place. And I think that was always something that would, that that I would realize I, I need to change my systems. I need to, you know, and that was always something that got me to the next level. Wow. And, and, and how did your, your background in finance help you to get here? Because I, I know you started, you know, with your accounting and finance degree as an entrepreneur. When did you really make that shift into coaching? There's a lot of realization that's happening at this point, the need for systems. You know, you, 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 you preach productivity. Your book is called The Productivity Zone. You know, how did you really make that shift into this space where you're now coaching, speaking, and writing? Well, geez, I mean, it's a long step from... Accounting and finance, sure. right? Where I started yeah. out. And I, I think I, I think it's, uh, you know, that was the safe play for me. Uh, my dad was an accountant and uh, my brothers both had trouble getting jobs when they got out of college. So I think for me, it was the safe play. It's like, well, you know, this will assure that there's always business for people, always jobs for people in accounting and finance. Those jobs don't go away. You know, marketing, maybe that goes away. But um, so it was the safe play. And, but I realized that I just didn't have any passion for it. And the funny thing is, is that when I was at Drexel, uh, at the time I'm dating myself, but the class was COBOL, right? When I got into systems and into application development, like my, I was the one who was doing all the coding and everything. And, you know, other people were like, oh, let me see what you did. Um, but I spent all those grueling hours in the lab because I loved it. And so that's what led to me starting my own technology business was I I just loved what technology can do for us. And I think that was sort of the the beginning of the productivity bug, right, is because how do we take a process and make it better and automate it? Like that was always something that I loved to do because then I could spend more time doing the things that are most important. Let's automate all of those uh, anything that's able to automate so that we can take that off our plate and have that done um, without, without error. Right. And, uh, and seamless, and then we can do the the thinking work and how that led to where I am today is just sort of through a series of steps. I sold my, my business, uh, because, uh, actually my, at at the time it, it, the business was running me versus me running the business. So I felt like, well, maybe I'm not cut out to be an entrepreneur, Uh, and so I had come upon this sort of, uh, this wall where I just couldn't work any more hours. You know, we tell ourselves and we hear this loud voice in our head that says, just work some more. And you get to a point where you're just totally burnt out. And I I got to that point, uh, and I thought, okay, I had an opportunity to sell my business. So I, I jumped at it and, uh, and I went to work for a large market research company because I thought, well, they've got all this money and resources. And I found that that's not true. Right. We lie to ourselves. We think the grass is greener, but it is not true. Um, and so, you know, I, I did a lot of business turnarounds there and uh, and just more around the productivity, making things better. And as I started to have children, 
I decided that uh, I really wanted to have more flexibility in my time. And so that's when I got into, into coaching was how do I help people to grow their businesses and do the things that I love to do, but at the same time, be able to, you know, be there for, for my family with some flexibility. So that's, that's how that beautiful. ended up. I want to go back to something you said and spend some more time um, talking about just this fact that we're lying to ourselves, you know, and like what that looks like in businesses today. I, I know your title is like a focusologist and I, I feel like they're related somehow. I'd love to know what that connection is and like, what are some of the, 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 the typical trends or, or lies that you, you find that your clients are telling themselves when it comes to productivity and focus within their day to day? Well, I've recently, you know, I know that my book is called The Productivity Zone, but I do want to say that I named it that because I thought that's what people wanted, that they wanted productivity. But as I've really unwound, I've and and I'll get to to answer your question directly in a, in a moment, but I really find that productivity isn't the point. And that's that's one of the things that people are lying to themselves is that productivity just for sake of doing and getting things done that's not what productivity is, right? That's just being busy. And Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, you know, they said that busy is the new stupid. Um, so the things that we're lying to ourselves, and I'm not preaching. I mean, I am actively working on this on a regular basis. That's why I'm a focusologist. It's it's the practice of something, right? So the practice of being able to control and direct our, our uh, the energy of our thought and our focus. But people lie to themselves by, A, trying to do more. Uh, they're focused on growth in their business and not enough on profit. So it's kind of like, you know, Stephen Covey talked about putting your ladder up on the wrong wall. <laughs> the focusologist distinguishes the difference of how we show up and what we focus on. When we focus, for instance, on time, then we're, we're focused on scarcity. We're focused on the task. We're focused on... Um, maybe optimizing and making little increments versus if we shifted our focus to performance, uh, you know, and, and it's reactive, time is reactive. Performance is focusing on progress. It's focusing on being proactive and looking at the, the big picture and the, and the end result and what does that mean to the tasks today? So it's a different perspective. And when we look out each of those different windows, we're going to show up differently we're going to put our time and energy differently. Like time as when you're focused on performance can be a catalyst. I've seen it. We, we saw it with, uh, with the pandemic. There's no time. We've got to get these solutions out. So we broke all kinds of rules and, uh, and use time as a catalyst to say, we don't have the time. How do we do this anyway? And it makes us creative. And so I think that's the thing that we're lying to ourselves is we're kind of caught up in this learned helplessness. You know, uh, the whole discussion about uh, about burnout, right? All of this, uh, it's yeah. real, but it's also that we've created it. And what we're lying to ourselves about is that we can't do mm. anything about it. That's a great answer. Um, and so many questions are coming to me as, as, uh, as you're talking here. I'm just writing some things down, but... Uh, I want to I want to spend some time there before you move on. And so um, I listened to one of your your recent podcasts and you were talking um, to your guests about, you know, how to manage their to do list and to, you know, stay focused and to eliminate all these things. And 
when, when you talk about burnout, it's really personal to me because like a, a lot of leaders, we, we've gone through burnout. Teams are going through burnout. You know, up to, they said, you know, 2020 was the year where uh, close to 80%, I think it was 79% of the, the, the workforce in North America experienced this burnout. And so that's really why Ditto exists is to eliminate burnout. We create systems, we create processes, and, you know, we, we help teams to, to unify their efforts and work smarter, work more intelligently. And so w- what does this look like in, in your right. world? Because on the subject of time, right, we all have the same amount of time in the day. And some would say that time is, you know, made up and it doesn't matter. And you just, you know, you, you, it, it's what you focus on and it's where you prioritize, right? It's not, we don't have enough time. It's, that's not a priority for me. These other things are clearly priorities for me. And that's how we alloc- that's how we allocate Absolutely. time. And so in your world, how do you communicate this, this need to protect your time with your customers? How are we actually doing it? What are some best practices? Because there's even been times in, in my day where I have the entire day you know, where I, I maybe I'll have some sales calls and then I'm going to do some marketing, some ops, check in on the team, things like that. And we can all choose how we spend that time. But some days, like you said, we just don't have the energy. You know, there's this brain fog, you know, maybe you're um, on, on, on the precipice of, of, of burnout and you just don't have this focus. So how are you breaking this down for your customers? What are some best practices as to how to allocate your time? And what do you do when, you know, you're on the the far end of it, and you're about to to fall into burnout? Well, if you feel like you're getting caught up in those burnout symptoms, um, the first thing is to recognize it. Don't deny it. Mm. Recognize it. Our bodies tell us what's going on. So if you're feeling extra tired, you're feeling extra foggy, and uh, then listen. Mm. And, and that's the thing is we push through and we go, oh, I'm just going to work some more and I'm just going to do some more. I'm just going to sit here. Um, good. Then you're going to burn out. Yeah. So we need to take breaks and we need to listen to our body. So if our body says we need more sleep, then it's a good thing to set the alarm and wake up a little bit later or go to bed a little bit earlier. And it's about taking ownership for it. Again, it comes back to this learned helplessness is we have, uh, especially during this COVID period, uh, we spend so much time and energy focusing on the things we can't control that it leaves us depleted so that we no longer take the ownership to focus on the things that we can control. So immediately we need to look for the signals and we need to focus on the things that we can control. And if we're not healthy, that's the very first thing that we need to, uh, to, to take a look at. So look at what you're eating, look at how much water you're drinking, uh, you know, and, and start just adding more sleep. I find that during really stressful times, Sleep is, and there's a ton of studies right now on sleep, right? Uh, I'm working on my sleep right now because I'm not sleeping as well as, as I used to. Maybe that's because of age, uh, but it's important. So we need to listen to our body and, and take those breaks, go out, make sure you're getting enough movement into your day because all of those things help you release. Our bodies are resilient machines. They are designed to eliminate waste, but it's our mind Right. That when we get stressed and we create these, like I said, those things that we say to ourselves that uh, that aren't true, um, that stress that we create up here can get stored in our cells. So if we don't allow our bodies to do what they do in movement and in sleep uh, by eliminating the waste, then we're 
we're becoming more toxic. So that's that's number one is absolutely take care of yourself and listen to to those things. What would you what would you say number two is? <clears throat> so the the other thing comes back to ownership again, and I have this system called gatekeepers. Mm. So gatekeepers, I mean, if you think about it, uh, you know, a lot of salespeople, they want to get to the decision maker. So they have to pass the gatekeeper, that person that protects and directs, right, the, the time of that person. So I thought we should have gatekeepers, every one of us, for, <laughs> for our time and energy. Mm-hmm. So these three areas of gatekeepers will help us to take greater ownership of protecting and directing uh, our time. Number one is rules. What kind of rules do we put in place? that help us to pre-decide things so that we don't have to get caught up in decision fatigue, which is part of what creates burnout, is that we just, we have these rules and we know that this is how we're going to show up based on these rules. So an example might be, uh, you know, Steve, Steve Jobs had a rule that he wore the same thing every day. It made it easy. It reduced decision yeah. fatigue. He just showed up in the same thing. Uh, and that was easy. Uh, a rule might be, if you're looking to lose weight, you might set a rule and say, I don't eat after seven o'clock. Right. So we set these rules. Mine is I don't snooze. I decide the night before. So there are different categories of rules, but that's just to keep it simple is that we set these rules and then we know how to stay within those those boundaries. So that's the first gatekeeper. The second one is filters like that person who you had to go through to get to the decision makers. We can put filters in place. And we're familiar with those when we think of our email. When we want to block out spam, we create a filter to take it out of our inbox. So we can create all kinds of filters that can support us. And then the the last gatekeeper is our environment, is what do we do in our environment to set us up for success? Or or what's in our environment that's also distracting us and keeping us from from being more productive? Mm, Okay. We're going to get to distractions a little bit later on. That was so good. Okay, so we have um, take care of yourself is the is the biggest one. And then number two is gatekeepers. And the different types of gatekeepers that we have um, that we can utilize are, are rules, creating rules, you know, in, within our business, our life, creating filters, and then um, setting up the environment where we're limiting distractions. Did, did I get that right or did I summarize that well enough? Yeah, absolutely. And those are all things that we plan ahead. Right. We, we own them by planning them ahead so that it's not like in the moment when we have to decide what to do, it's too late. Right. We have to have them pre-decided and pre-defined. Mm-hmm. OK. Um, uh, on one of your recent podcasts, I heard you talking about like taking these breaks in the day and like you specifically said taking your lunch break. And that's probably the first time in a podcast and I've listened to so many that I've heard someone, you know, talk about this need to take a lunch break. Right. Like I feel like because we're all remote and displaced you know, we're working a lot more. We're not taking breaks. We're not getting outside enough. Mm-hmm. We're not breaking in the middle of the day. And I can confidently say that for the past, you know, 30 days or so, it has not been long for me. I have um, intentionally put an hour lunch break into my calendar every single day. And so it, it's interesting you talk about these rules because one one rule that I have is that no matter what, I don't care who you are, you're not getting on my calendar during my lunch break. Right. And yes, I could. I Great. absolutely could. Right. Take 15 minutes, take 30 minutes. Sure. But I know what the other side of that looks like. I, I know what, you know, having the run on calendar all day looks like. Right? right. And so. And then you give away another 15 minutes. Right. And then another 15 minutes. And before you know it, you 
you've given away all of it's your It's all gone. And so I, I love that, that you talked about that point. And so can you talk about quickly before we, we get on to the, the next question is like, what are some of those, those telltale signs? Like our, our guests are listening right now. We're probably working remote. We are, you know, execs, we're leaders, we're VPs, we're, we're project managers, we're, we're busy in these spaces. And it seems like we don't have enough time because now we know we haven't created that time. We're not prioritizing correctly, right? And we're maybe not taking the breaks that we need to. So what are those telltale signs when all this is happening that we may be oblivious to and ignoring that are leading to burnout and brain fog and all those types of um, other symptoms? Um, you mean, what are the signs and symptoms that, that we're pushing Correct. it too hard? Yeah. Discuss them a little bit. I mean, low energy, right. Is going to be a, a symbol or a symptom that says you're not, you're not taking breaks, but little things like irritability and blaming other people and criticizing all of that is, is we're not in a, in a healthy place. Right. So you have to take a look at what's not working in, in your, in your environment, right. That's creating this, this tension, this reason for you to, to show up like that. So all of those kinds of things are also symptoms of, of that. Um, it, maybe you're not sleeping well at night, right. That'll also, it'll impact your, your sleep mm. in the evening. And, uh, I don't know. I mean, there's a, just, just feeling distracted and, and stressed. I think we, we live, I, you know, I, in, I talk to groups all over, all over the world and, one of the things that I talk about is about distraction, that we are in a state of distraction. We don't just have this distraction, squirrel, that distraction. We live in a state of distraction, which means we are constantly in that fight or flight. So that's that's also sort of one of those symptoms is that we just can't focus, that we don't. And, and, and I'm hearing that from people all over. Maybe you're hearing that, yeah. too, is that they just feel like they, they just can't sit down and focus on anything. Right. And in your book, and I wasn't completely truthful when I said I didn't skim through your book. I, I, I pulled out some some quick notes, but you said the age of technology is also the age of distractions, right? And so we, we know distractions are are there. Um, how do we eliminate that? I mean, there are things like obviously turning off your notifications, but sometimes it's just so necessary. So what what is a typical structure that you'd recommend to your clients who are suffering from this? They can't focus their distractions. Maybe they're a leader that has to be paying attention to Slack or their Trello or whatever it may be and looking in their emails. How, how are we going about structuring our day? Are there any best practices or methods that you recommend to eliminate those distractions? Sure. Well, we need to relearn and recommit to focusing. And we might start with uh, the studies have shown that 12 minutes of meditation a day can help you to regain more clarity and focus. So you could start with that and start your day with 12 minutes of meditation. Um, then I think that you really want to be able to schedule when you're going to be checking into those different platforms. I I have a hard time believing that anyone has a requirement that they have to be on 24 hours, you know, or, or, or just the hours yeah. that they're at work, that they have to have their Slack channel open the whole time. I mean, I don't think any, if you're a brain surgeon and you need, you know, to, to get that call because you got to go to the hospital to, to, to help somebody. Okay. I get it. Um, but we have to be able to schedule 
when we're going to be reactive and when we're going to be proactive. So during those proactive times, when you're working on maybe creating a new system, optimizing a process or something strategic that you're doing for your role, uh, strategic meaning long-term thinking, you've got to block uh, a segment for that. And that means no distractions. That's your deep thought time. And that means you turn all notifications off. I, I recommend instead of, you know, this is a push pull system. So we're having everything be pushed to us at any and all times. And really we want to change it to a pull system. We go and pull it when we're ready to, uh, to, to work with it. So uh, that's my suggestion is, and companies coming back to rules, companies need to help their people and set rules because because of the lack of rules that we have with all this extra flexibility, right? So many boundaries have been let go. You're not working in the office. When should I be reactive and responsive? People feel like the sense of urgency, like, oh, I have to be on all the time because nobody's giving them a response time or anything. So what if the companies just set some rules and said, hey, look, if you can, we're going to set these company breaks. So we'd like everybody to be on chat from nine to 10 in the morning and from four to five in the afternoon. When I lived in Switzerland and I worked in Switzerland, that's one of the things that they did was they had these uh, company breaks where you'd go and you'd have your coffee, but you'd socialize, but you, then you'd also ask any open questions that you had of that department or team member. So it was a, it was, it was a, an important gathering time. So we could do that as a company, we could set something like that up, or we could also set rules that say, um, listen, we want to have a response time within our teams uh, of four hours. So, you know, you don't need to be on all the time, but you might want to check at the top of the hour, you know, for 10 minutes, all your, your different systems just to, to see if there's anything urgent. And maybe yeah. you have a rule about how you classify urgent things. So at the top of an email or a Slack message, it says 911 or something like that, that you know that this needs to be handled immediately. And, uh, yeah. and that, you know, we give people some slack, right, to to be able to uh, uh, get some deep thinking time because it, otherwise you're just not going to get your work done if, if you're not giving yourself that space. That's good. And, and who are some of your clients, Penny? I mean, we don't have to talk, obviously, names, but if we if we are you know looking at different personas, who are the people that you're working with? Um, when are they, where are they finding you? Um, when's a good time for them to be working with you and how, what does the process look like? Like really getting started, digging deep and getting this information out. You provide executive coaching, business growth coaching, you know, who are they, what are they looking for and how do we really get into this and how do you help transform these businesses and, and, and the leaders within these companies? Well, it starts at the top. It starts with the leaders. So typically I'm working with the leaders in the organization, whether it's someone who uh, started their own business and they've grown it to a point where they've kind of hit a plateau um, and they want to know, how do I how do I scale? How do I take my business to the next level? That's mm -hmm. typically the scenario uh, or they want to grow faster. And so they need outside perspectives. They need somebody who has uh, ideas and ways of looking at things across different industries. Sometimes uh, I find people hire coaches within the same industry. And I find that that's very limiting. I suggest that people look for outside perspectives because if they're just looking in the industry, what about what's happening in other industries that you can apply in your industry? So yeah. I'm very much um, 
try to be across and seeing what's going on in different in different industries. And then I'll work with that senior executive for them to understand what their challenges are, what are the challenges in the culture and in the organization. And very often uh, I do a lot of public speaking as well and training. So very often I will uh, be involved in company events, uh, sales events, you know, different things like that. So. One thing that all Asana users from beginners to expert have in common is that it doesn't seem to matter how long you've been using Asana for. We all realize that there are aspects of Asana we just don't get. Maybe you're new to Asana and know nothing about it. Welcome. Or maybe you're a long time user but haven't explored the powerful features that Asana has to offer. Well, this is also for you. We've created what we are calling Asana Mastery, ASM for short, an exclusive membership to help you get the most out of your Asana investment. We want to help take your Asana expertise to the next level by demonstrating how the powerful set of features in Asana can be used to standardize and automate your projects and tasks. Visit asanamasterycourse.com and click register to get started today. Class starts soon. We can't wait to see you inside. So we're talking about how we get started with these businesses. You know, Penny, you let us know that you're working top down with the leaders, getting to what is important to them, and then you're working down from there. Now, because we're talking to leaders, you know, we're, we're both in this space as well. And something that you say in, in your book is that, you know, we're all control freaks. You're, you're talking about delegation. And so a, a lot of the times, you know, it's the leaders that really need to get out of their own way. Right. You mentioned that they feel that they can do it the best or, you know, they can't resource their team. And so how do you help them to, you know, understand this need for um, not just only like a mind shift, but like a structural shift in their business where they need to let go of some of these things? So we know that we're all control freaks. We know that we need to delegate, but sometimes that's hard. Right. And, and so how much control, you know, do you suggest that we give up while, you know, making sure that our teams and the people that we're delegating to are helping us still realize our vision within the company? Well, sometimes it starts with awareness is how are you actually limiting the productivity of the entire organization because you're holding on to the reins too much. Right. So when you take away autonomy mm. from your people because you're telling them what to do and how to do it and not letting them bring some creativity to it. They're going to go to the other side of the curve while you're over-functioning, they're going to underfunction, and they're going to be apathetic and they're going to be like, well, no sense in me putting any effort into it because they're just going to change it or tell me how to do it differently. So, you know, and, and then they'll procrastinate and wait until the last minute and right. It creates this, um, this lack of ownership and accountability in the organization. So I call it the accountability paradox because I hear leaders all the time, like, oh, my team's just not accountable. And typically when I hear that, it's because we have a micromanagement leader, leadership. Um, so something to look out for. So sometimes it's just showing them and, and creating some awareness. Uh, we also, I do a time study to start out in the beginning with, uh, with, with the leaders so that we can see, well, where are you spending a majority of your time? And almost every time, we see that they are so tactical and they're just not spending the time that they need to be spending on the business. They're stuck in the business. And so that's also why the business isn't, isn't growing. They're not just, they're just not spending it on the 20% 
that's going to get them 80% of the results, that strategic movement. So, you know, if we, if we look at the Pareto principle or the 80, 20 rule, leaders lead to need to make sure that a minimum minimum of their time is 20% mm. in strategic efforts. I love that. I, I was going to ask about your 80, 20, cause everyone, you know, has a different um, thought process around it, but that makes a lot of sense. And to your earlier point around, you know, um, limiting productivity in the business. I think that's such a, a good point, right? Like take and almost taking away that autonomy from, from your teams. And we wonder why, why people leave companies, right? Like disengagement rises, right? Their, the morale suffers and it, it, it's such a quick transformation and people get frustrated and they leave. And again, we wonder why do you see a lot of that? Are our leaders scratching their heads, wondering what's happening? Like, why are my people not engaged? Why aren't they, you know, um, taking accountability for their work? Do you see a lot of that still happening? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, the pandemic only polarized even more. Those who micromanaged, <laughs> you know, they like, you know, their their sphincter uh, got sucked up, and they're like, oh, oh my god, you know, we gotta we gotta do something here because I'm gonna lose control because people are at home. So now I'm going to monitor them. Now I'm going to tell them they have to be on Slack so that I can say, you're not on Slack, right? So part of us being available in all of those platforms is a monitoring thing. And that's got to stop. And yes, there's going to be some people who, you know, are, are whatever, not utilizing every single moment. Maybe they, they take a break and they do something on their computer or they do the laundry or they, but if you trust your people to do the work and to get the result, they're going to bring, they're going to bring it. They just may do it, you know, a little bit more flexibly. They did that at the office anyway, they would leave their desk and they'd take a walk and they'd chat with somebody uh, or they'd stop at the water cooler. Right. And there'd be a chat or, um, or they'd go get a coffee or have a smoke or whatever it is that people do right when they take breaks. So, you know, we just have to, and, and I know this is a big thing for, for employees to understand that it's not always that the, the person doesn't trust. The micromanager doesn't always come from a place of mistrust. They just come from a place of a need for control. We have this innate sense within us. It's, it's biological and psychological that we need to have control. So when we have uncertainty or change, uh, we will seek control wherever we can. So I don't know if you've ever, like, I have this thing where I have to clean up when things are, then I have to straighten up because it's what I can control. I can control the counter space in my house when I'm feeling stressed, certain counters have to be clean. It just gives me some sense of, of peace and control. Um, so, you know, so little ways we can see how it comes out and for leaders, it can, it can come out in that way. Hey, the market is uncertain. I'm going to tighten up and I'm really going to pull my team in and, and, and keep an eye on them. And it's, it's just this innate need for control. It's, and it's irrational, right? Some of our behaviors are irrational. And so you just have to be aware of it. And that in itself may help to break a pattern, but then we can put other things in place to help them to, to break that pattern. Well, I once had an employer who, uh, we had an arrangement that I could work remotely, uh, on Fridays and, you know, first it was Mondays and Fridays, and then it was just Fridays, and then it was just Friday afternoons because they were convinced uh-huh. that I wasn't working while I was at home. They were convinced that I wasn't being productive 
when I was at home. I was doing the exact same thing. It was actually more productive. And even the office environment, it wasn't one that was, you know, it didn't promote like positive culture. There was no, you know, sense of camaraderie. You know, everyone kind of sat in their little cubicles. We all had our headphones on. No one talked to each other all day. And I wondered, what's the difference? And then sure enough, you know, I mean, what was it? Four years later, the pandemic happened. And then um, I, I, I thought to myself, I wonder how they're doing now where people are actually at home. I wonder how the business is doing, but it's, uh, it's just pretty funny. Um, you, you mentioned earlier. Right. And look at all the, just real quick, look at yeah. all the wasted energy that that manager is putting in, yeah. worrying about that you might not be working and all of this. He should focus on the, the work that's important yeah. and just give you the ownership of your work and you'll get it done. And if it feels like you're not doing anything, then maybe he could give you a little bit more. Ask if you, if you need more work. Exactly. And, and, and for the leaders listening, my next step was to resign and I left. And so yeah. if, if, if that's yeah. your mentality, just be prepared to, to lose your people. Um, yeah. Awesome. Earlier you and talked- that's a good sign, right? Yes. It's a good sign. When we see today the great resignation, Yeah. <clears throat> people are leaving because they're not happy with the organization. There's a lack of flexibility. There's a lack of leadership, a lack, a lack of uh, growth. Mm-hmm. I know plenty of companies- who are keeping their employees, that they have had employees who came and offered them like almost double. Now that's really hard Yeah, <laughs> that those people didn't leave, but they didn't leave. They didn't leave because they love the culture and love the company. And they knew that it wasn't just money that was, that was driving them. And I think that today's generation also feels that way. And uh, it's hard if somebody offers you double, but at the same time, the point being is that if you create uh, a culture that that really cares about people and their development, uh, you're you're going to keep your people. Yeah. In any of your engagements, do you do you speak to to the team? I know that we start top down. What does it look like when we get to the to the teams that are being managed? Because I know that you know even the work that we do at Ditto. I mean, we typically will interview the leaders and the stakeholders first, and then we talk to the team to understand what their processes look like and how it ties into what the leadership is saying. And they're they're rarely the same story that we're getting. So I feel like talking to the team sometimes you get a completely different picture of what's happening, where the time is going and all of those kinds of things. Like, do you see drastic differences when you speak to those two different groups? Definitely. Definitely. Because there's, there's a, a, a gap in transparency mm-hmm. of, of what's going on in leadership and where they're taking the organization and what people are doing on a day to day. So that's one of the issues I think that also is driving people to leave is, is that lack of transparency and not feeling apart not feeling connected to where the company is going or the company. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's definitely uh, a disconnect in a lot of different areas, but that's, that's one of them that I would, I would say. And yeah, I talk to uh, the different departments and groups and, and really, but we focus also on what can they do, right? Again, we also have to focus on what can we control. And if somebody's not managing you effectively, you know, learn how to manage your manager and kind of assume, positive intent, right? That's a rule that I follow is that they're not out to get you. They're not, you know, and if you find that that doesn't work, right. As you're managing them and you're then, then, okay, then this might not be the place for you, but uh, everybody's doing the best they can with the information they have as the pandemic, you know, came upon us. That was new for a lot of leaders. They didn't know what they were doing. Mm. Right. So a little, 
understanding and support is also important. If you've got a great idea of how to change something, bring that to your manager, you know, and everything is how you say it, you know, but bring, bring your ideas of how you can improve uh, your culture and your workplace, because uh, that makes a difference. So we have to speak up. Great. Uh, earlier, you mentioned that you, you conduct a time study. What does that look like? And, and how are you going about that within, within uh, the companies that you're, you're working with? Well, I have a very specific approach, a top-down approach. So uh, I'm not as concerned with every minute, you know, because uh, that can stress people out when yeah. they're tracking their time. Like, oh, I got to remember and do this and this. I'm looking for the major categories of work. So everybody's got about five to 10 major categories of work that they're doing. Uh, and you can branch that out into other categories. And there's benefits, you know, if for each individual situation, you could see if you want to go any deeper. But to look at the percentage of time you're spending in each of those categories and compare it with if you are going to see the success that you've outlined for yourself and your organization, what percentage of time do you need to be spending in each of those categories uh, in, in order to reach that goal? So not all tasks are created equal, right? If we take a look at the uh, urgent versus uh, important, you know, Eisenhower matrix, right? Yeah. Is, is where do those tasks fall in that, in that, uh, in that framework and understand what are your most important tasks to make sure that that area is getting as much or more attention as it needs. Perfect. I, I follow that same matrix myself with my own personal tasks. So I, I know all about that. Um, okay. One, one big question as we're getting close to the end here, you have uh, on your website, there is a, a visual, it's a graph of a, of a bell curve and on the X axis, it's, it's your effectiveness and on the Y it's your efficiency. And at the start of the bell curve, it, it's procrastination and it ramps up. And at the, the peak of the, the curve, it's your productivity zone. And then it starts to dip <laughs> into perfection. I love this visual. Where did it come from and, and how do you use this to, you know, apply or, or get your points across to, to your customers? Cause like, I, I, I so agree with it. I'm just curious if it actually resonates with your customers and, and how we're using this in your engagements. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, it, it's, it's a, a high performance framework that simplifies things, oversimplifies so that you can step back and, uh, you know, away from, the details to take a look is, are you in the zone? And it's not just at the peak. The zone is like that, you know, in between each of those uh, ends of the curve. Right, yeah. And they talk about 10 core drivers that help one to get into the zone. But it's important, you know, I mentioned earlier that when a leader overfunctions, they're caught up in perfectionism, right? That's that's overfunctioning. And that means that other people will underfunction. So they get it when we talk about it to understand that, you know, you're looking for everybody to be focused uh, on what's most important and the 10 core drivers of, of our behaviors will, will get us back into the zone if we're caught up in perfectionism or procrastination. So it does resonate with people because those who are, you know, I'm a recovering perfectionist. So I completely uh, relate to that side of the curve. And some people know that they have a tendency to procrastinate and they also like feed each other. Right. So mm -hmm. you're, you're tired of being perfect. So then you'll just hold off. You can't be perfect. You won't do it. Yeah. And so forth. So we just have to be aware of our behavior patterns and how they help or hurt. And 
they're, they're the soft factors. So I'm kind of, uh, I have an app also that helps us to rate where we are on each of those 10 mm-hmm. core drivers. And so that helps us also to quantify something that's not really quantifiable so that ourselves, we can check in and get greater clarity of how are we showing up in the area of our mindset or how are we showing up in strategy drivers that drive strategy or what about sustainability? Um, is that app available to the public or is it just something that you, that you use in your engagements? Uh, it, it is, but it's something I mostly use in my engagement, but it, it is available. Um, I'm revamping it right now. So, uh, I'm not sure how accessible, but you can go to the app store and you can download it. Um, and then I think you have to, I'll have to see and send you a link in terms of, uh, because it's a, a, there's certain things that are free, but the the actual rating and everything is, I think it's $67. Uh, awesome. Okay. Yeah. Well, if you can send that link across, that would be great. We can link it in the show notes. Um, okay. This has been really, really enlightening, Penny. I, I, I love this topic. I love productivity. I love talking about, you know, how to, you know, work to be more productive and efficient with our time. Um but like for you, you, you've spent a lot of time, you, you've been an entrepreneur for, for a while now. Like we said off the top, I read your bio. It's so impressive. Um, you know, what's next for you? you? You've got your own podcast, you know, take back time, um, search it out on, um, on Spotify. You've got your book. What's next for Penny? What are the next five, 10 years look like for you? That's a good question. I'm, uh, I'm writing my, my next book. Uh, so that should be out next year. I'm currently okay. working on that. It's sort of, um, it's almost the prequel to the productivity zone. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, so it's got a working title of uh, reset moments. So I'll give you that. So uh, be on the lookout for that. And, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm speaking to more and more organizations and things like that. So I think you'll, yeah. you'll see me more and more at, uh, at some of these big events and uh, because it's how do I reach more people, right? So that's that's really my goal. Um, you know, with my TEDx, I'm celebrating just over a million views um, wow. with that TEDx. So I'm I'm that was how many years ago was that? I think ten years ago, I set a goal that I wanted to impact a million people, and I had no idea that you know it's not easy. I mean, I know I had to watch my TEDx nine hundred ninety-eight thousand times, but no, just kidding. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, you know, it's not easy for, for, for a lot of people do great TEDx's and they, they don't get picked up. So I, I feel really grateful. So I'm looking for, you know, this okay. next book to make a really big impact. And, and someday my ultimate dream is I'd like to, uh, I'd like to write a, a screenplay or be involved okay. in another screenplay. I did get involved uh, a couple years ago in Wishman, <clears throat> which was a, a book about um, a movie about Frank Shankowitz who founded the Make-A-Wish Foundation. So I just want to do something bigger and broader that's going to touch people in a way and, and create, you know, uh, more, more meaning and more, uh, just give them, give them that extra zest for life, you know, take us out of that place of learned helplessness and put us in a place of, uh, of ownership. And, you know, it's, it's all in this, this focusologist, right. It's, it's seeing where I take that, take that, as, as more of a movement than just me being the focusologist that it's a, a movement. 
I love that. Oftentimes, um, when I ask that question, people aren't sure how to answer it, but you, you, you've spent some time and thought through this. And so I really appreciate that. All the best to you. I wasn't expecting to hear screenplay, um, but that's, that's really interesting um, that, that you can have the time to do that. So I wish you all the best. I don't. You don't, but you're going to make it. I don't, it. You're gonna but make here's it. the thing, right? I'm going to make it. Yeah. That's right. If we want to do something, we don't have the time yeah. to do a, a lot of different things, but if we don't stretch it and make a, a big goal and, yeah. and go 10 times bigger than what we think we can do, then we just have to settle for mediocre. Like I want to live a bold, you know, bold, uh, adventurous life. My, my father died when I was 19. Okay. And I think that really put that in me to, you know, to live my life to the fullest. And so I'm going to make those big goals and maybe I, maybe I don't reach it, uh, but I'm going to get a lot further by having set that goal than if I didn't set it at all. Exactly. Well said. I'm all about goals and visions. So I definitely resonate with that. Um, where can people get in touch with you, Penny? We know your website is pennyzenker360360.com. Uh, aside from your site, where, where are you hanging out these days online? Where can people find out more about you and your services? Uh, yeah, they can come find me and uh, link, link in with me on LinkedIn. Okay. Uh, I do you know quite a bit on, on LinkedIn. And uh, if they want to take a distraction quiz that I have, um, it's distractionquiz.com and they can find out sort of what their distraction profile is, whether they're really good at this and they're a wizard or they're a squirrel or a, maybe a time zombie. So come come check that out and see where you are in distraction and that'll link you up with my my newsletter and other content that awesome. I push out. Perfect. We'll be sure to link those in the show notes. Thank you so much, Penny, for your time today. I really enjoyed our conversation. And again, uh, I wish you all the best in your endeavors and the uh, empire that you're building. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, thank you, Marky. Thanks for listening to the In Systems We Trust podcast with Marky Murray. If you liked what you heard today, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Don't forget to rate the episode and share it with a friend. Head over to thinkditto.com to learn more about how the team at Ditto can help your business scale by implementing the systems and processes needed to get you there. If you're hearing my voice, consider this to be your official invite to join the Asanaverse community on Facebook. It's the number one group on Facebook where you can ask questions, learn alongside other professionals, and find tons of resources to help take your Asana skills to the next level. Search Asanaverse on Facebook to join the conversation.